live streaming. Also glad to have you with us. Uh, before we begin, let me give you just a, a few announcements. The first is that uh, every uh, Sunday morning, uh, there is a mom's meetup here at the church. Been, the ladies have been going through a, a, a particular book, and they sort of uh, read a chapter beforehand, and then just kind of come discuss and share the same, some things that they've been encouraged by, some things that they're learning. And so uh, that is available. Again, that's on, that's on every Sunday morning. And uh, actually, oh. I'm sorry, is this starting? This is right now. Starting May 1st. I am so confused. Please. We're just going to hang out because we'll play. Moms will chat. It'll be from 10 to 11.30, the first Monday of the month, starting May 2nd. Cool. Thank you. All right. And then uh, aside from that, uh, we will have a Good Friday service here at the church at 6.30 p.m. this Friday. And so if you are available, uh, please come. Uh, it should be a, a good time just to focus on worshiping uh, the Lord, uh, and also just to uh, focus on His Word as well. It'll be a much uh, more, it'll be a condensed, a shorter service than we normally have. And then, of course, uh, following that, we'll, we'll have our service on Easter Sunday. And so, looking forward to that as well. And please invite uh, whoever you wish, friends, neighbors, co-workers. We want to just focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we'll be focusing on that on Easter Sunday. And then also, uh, if, you, if anyone here is interested uh, in learning more about the church, knowing what we believe, uh, we will have a, a, a class dedicated to that on May 1st here at the church, immediately following the service. And uh, if for whatever reason uh, you cannot make it for that but are interested, uh, then please uh, let me know. If you can make it, also let me know. And some of you have already talked to me. Uh, but if you are interested but cannot make it for whatever reason, please let me know, and I'd be happy to try to figure out other arrangements uh, for that, just to better accommodate your schedule. So anyways, those are all the announcements I have. Uh, this week is, the beginning is uh, of Holy Week, and today is Palm Sunday. So even though we should always uh, think about the gospel of Christ and always live in the gospel each and every day, uh, this is a week, and today especially we want to give a special attention to the gospel of Christ, especially considering Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem, setting his sights on this city, but more than that, setting his sights on the cross and what he would accomplish through the cross, and that is the salvation of sinners. And so let us come before the Lord this morning, regardless of how your week has been, what things you have been struggling with. Uh, come before the Lord Jesus, and I pray that you might be encouraged as we worship him and give praise to the God who saved us, and as we also give our attention to his word as well. And this is a, uh, and this is uh, what Christ has uh, has done through the cross is he's created this. He's created a church, a people for himself that will meet on the Lord's day uh, to worship him. And it's also a place where we welcome friends who may not know the Lord Jesus as well to come and consider uh, the gospel of Christ and behold the gospel and behold Christ. And so let us come together and let us first lift up our voices to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. The church, let's stand and worship. With that said, um, I'll be, today's call to worship is 
uh, out of First Chronicles 16, verse 31. The Word of God says, Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. And let's continue in worship. Let the nations be glad. Together, let the glory. Let the glory of the Lord forever be our joy. May redemption be the theme of our song. For by grace we have been saved, and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ is come. Let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, Salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of the Lord. For salvation belongs to our God. Let the nations be glad. Through the ages. Through the ages gone before, through the trial and the sword, many saints and martyrs conquered, though they died. Still we holding out the cross, crossing oceans of loss, shall endure all things to win the crown of life. Yes, Lord, let's sing. Let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, for salvation belongs to our God. church as your holy church goes forth in the holy spirit's parts forth with the glories of the gospel to explain now we pray your kingdom come lord and we pray your will be done for the honor and the glory of your let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, for salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of the Lord, for salvation belongs to our God. Let the nations be glad. 
All creatures. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. 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 Let all things. Let all things their Creator bless, and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him! Alleluia! Praise, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. 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 Sing all the redeemed. All the redeemed washed by His blood. Come and rejoice in His great love. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens down on Him. Oh, praise Him. Praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. 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 He shall return. He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to save. Praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Then you shall fall on bended knee. All creatures. All creatures of our God and King. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Father, we just thank you. We worship you, Father, this morning. May you continue, Lord, to lead us in worship. In scripture reading, Lord, through your word, and in all things, Lord, uh, May we be edified and encouraged. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Amen. Let's continue worship for one more song before we go into uh, our time in the Word. So in this song, um, we've heard this one many times during Christmas time, right? Um, but uh, it also just it also brings uh, the full story of when Christ was born, right? But also coming to be our King. Um, so let us sing together and worship. And you come that long, expected Jesus. Amen. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set the people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Lord, continue born. Born thy people to deliver, born a child, yet a king, born to reign in us. Now the gracious kingdom bring by thy own eternal. Spirit, rule in all hearts of merit brings us to thy Sing the verse one together. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set the people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in Worship you. Um, so, God.
God, lead us into your word now. May we sit under your word, Lord, in your preaching. May we be encouraged, Lord, by the coming of Jesus, by his commitment, Lord, to the cross, to us, to our Father, and what he has accomplished uh, for us, Lord. God, we thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Man, traditionally, the church has been out palm, given out palm branches because there's Palm Sunday and sort of uh, symbolizes the, uh, the worship of the Lord Jesus when he entered in Jerusalem. So it is uh, not there. Well, I guess you could use it. You could use it to, if you wanted to uh, use it to whip the person next to you. They're falling asleep. But that's not what it's intended for. But before we get into the Word, let's uh, spend some time in prayer, and to lead us into that, let me read to us from Mark 10, 35, down to verse 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the turn... The ten heard it, they, became, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, in reading this passage, Lord, we should be absolutely floored by the humility of Jesus Christ. For Jesus is a king coming from the line of David. When we read of the Gospels, we read of how Jesus healed the sick, giving sight to the blind and providing for those who needed provision. The one who is sovereign and omnipotent even over the storms and calming the raging seas. And who is also the great forgiver of sins. 
And so when we read of this king and how he has come into the world, we would expect many other things. We might expect that this king to be served, but that is not what you say. You say that you have come into the world not to be served, but to serve. And if we stop there, we might have our ideas of what it means or what it looks like for a king to serve, to serve perhaps through one's leadership, through giving, through providing, through helping. But you continue and you say that you have come to serve by giving your life as a ransom for many. You came to offer your life as a ransom, which means that you're giving up your life in order to acquire that which is imprisoned. And so what what is imprisoned and what is imprisoned or what was imprisoned was us. We were once imprisoned, enslaved to our sins under the tyranny of the devil. And you came into the world and you gave your life as a ransom to free us from this bondage so that we might have eternal life and so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Father, we come before you and we worship you for sending your Son into the world. We worship you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. And Lord, how often we have the attitude of these disciples who put our, we have a tendency to put ourselves before others and even put ourselves before you. And Lord, in giving up your life, you command loyalty, you command obedience. And oftentimes our struggle is with pride. Our struggle is with selfish desires. Our struggle is with the world and our flesh. And sometimes we make pledges of loyalty to these things instead of Christ. And so we come before you this morning. We ask that you might forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments when our commitment to you is is wavering and it is less than faithful. Forgive us, Lord, for our trespasses. Forgive us, Father, for our sins. And we Thank you, Lord, because you forgive those who come in confession of their sins. Your word tells us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, that we are no longer under the condemnation that our sins deserve, that we are no longer enslaved to our sins. But the price for our sins and the judgment that our sins deserve have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we are slaves to Christ and slaves to righteousness. So we 
We praise you and we thank you for these things. Lord, as we think about Palm Sunday, Lord, and as we look to Jesus and his unwavering commitment to pay this high ransom, Lord, would you give to us, renew in us a zeal to give our lives wholly unto you, that there may be no part of us that we withhold from you, but help us, God, by your grace to entrust our entire lives to you, our desires, our hopes, our families, our bank accounts, our possessions, our very lives, that we may entrust them all to you to be used by you for your glory. Lord, renew in us an unrelenting commitment to live for you and for your glory. And Lord, as we think about this week and as we think about Easter that is coming up and many people going into church at a time like this when they would not otherwise be at church, where there might be churches filled with many who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ in a personal way, God, we pray that there would be a great salvation amongst unbelievers. We pray, God, for a great salvation. And we pray that churches may be faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for our church. Lord, we are the sheep of your pasture. And we pray and ask that you might equip us with every good thing so that we might serve humbly and live honorably, and give generously, and love indiscriminately, all unto your eternal glory. So we entrust all these things to you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, we'll be reading verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> in Matthew 21, picking it up in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that through your word you would accomplish your good purposes. Father, I pray that you might help me, Lord, to not be an impediment or a distraction from beholding Christ. Lord, would you help us to see Jesus, to see the glory of Christ as we give our attention to your word and as we also think about the death of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You and I have many commitments. Commitments to ourselves, perhaps commitments to jobs, commitments to our families, commitments to perhaps different forms of recreation, commitments to various different things. And sometimes those commitments compete against one another. And so it requires discernment. It requires you knowing sort of what you value most in order to help you determine which priorities, which commitments to prioritize. The other thing about commitments is that commitments require some self-sacrifice. You have to sort of die to yourself to some degree in order to make a commitment. Say, for example, a commitment in marriage requires that both parties regularly die to themselves in order to serve one another. A commitment to children, right, requires a, a, an hourly, perhaps an even a minute-by-minute dying to yourself for the good of your children. A commitment to your job requires to die to yourself as you give hours upon hours to your work and hours that you would perhaps otherwise would like to spend doing something else. As we consider Holy Week this week, as we sort of enter into this week, historically known as the week where Jesus has entered Jerusalem and is headed to the cross, this being the final moments of his life, Jesus was a king, he was a man committed to something peculiar. He enters Jerusalem, and people worship him. At that point, it was sort of at the height of his popularity. People knew about him, had heard about him, had heard of his miracles, had seen his miracles firsthand. Word had spread. Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and so the people worship him as king. But as we turn our attention to this passage, we see that this king had his own commitments that he had to follow through with. So as we turn our attention to Jesus Christ and considering his commitments, first we see that his commitment was was a, a peculiar commitment. And it is a peculiar commitment because of the nature of his commitment. And the nature of his commitment is one that involved his death. So in other words, Jesus was committed to dying. 
as he enters Jerusalem, we see this commitment towards his death. But even though this was a commitment that he was looking, more than looking, but he was insistent upon fulfilling, we see also that this was also part of the plan of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, the apostle Peter preaching to a crowd of people, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So while Jesus was committed to entering Jerusalem and thereby also committed to his death, we also see, according to the scriptures, that this was according to the plan of God. It's according to the plan of God, to the fore, according to the foreknowledge of God. Not that God foreknew, that God knew what was going to happen, but that God actually orchestrated this. That God actually planned this to happen to Jesus Christ. Now, reading this and considering this, it might sort of come across as Jesus is sort of this passive person, of a sort of a passive obedience, that he was committed to this because it was according to the plan of God, and so he was simply following through in the plan of God. Now, elsewhere in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says that he will be delivered to the hands of sinners, and they will condemn him to death. So while is it the plan of God, it seems that also sinners had a hand in the delivering up of Jesus to death. In Acts 3.13, in another sermon by the apostles, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, speaking to the crowds now whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. According to the plan of God, but also at the hands of sinners, Jesus is delivered unto death. But did Jesus go to his death kicking and screaming? Did Jesus go to his death begging and crying out for release? Was he pleading on the cross for his release or for, for mercy, for pity upon him? Isaiah 53 verse 7 answers that question where it tells us, Speaking of Jesus, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So according to the plan of God, Jesus was delivered up. According to the hands of sinful men, Jesus was also delivered up. But he did so silently. And one might be led to conclude that Jesus was somehow forced into this and his being arrested, delivered up by the hands of sinners, walking according to the plan of God. But for who can thwart God's plans, the Bible tells us. But Jesus was not forced to do something that he did not want to do. But as I said, this was a commitment that he made. And a commitment requires a free choice. 
someone has to be willing to put themselves in a position where they are committing themselves to a task, to a responsibility, or to a person. No, this was Christ's commitment. It was Passover, the time of celebration or commemoration or remembering what Christ or what God has done in the past and delivering his people from slavery in Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders, concluding with the final sign of God that was the, the taking of life, the killing of every firstborn child in every home in Egypt. But God provided a way to protect the Israelites, if they would take the blood of a sacrificial animal and put the blood on the doorposts, only then would the angel of God pass over that house and move on to the next and not take any life in that home. This was what they were commemorating. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem, as everybody else who is a Jew enters in Jerusalem, to remember the Passover. But Jesus enters Jerusalem willingly, knowing that he was about to enter into his final hours of his life. Even in the passage that we read, he went to Jerusalem. He commanded his disciples to go get the donkey and the colt in order to fulfill scripture written centuries ago. And nobody forced him to get on the donkey. Nobody forced him to enter into Jerusalem. Jesus did so willingly. Even though going into Jerusalem knew, he knew that it was his certain death. Even also knowing that the religious authorities of the time, who already were enraged by Jesus, at that point, knowing that he would go into Jerusalem and receiving worship of people, would, he knew that would only in, further infuriate the religious leaders who already wanted to kill him. Even entering Jerusalem, he could have fled. He could have run away at any moment, at any point. As you fast forward towards later in the week, and he's spending his last supper with his disciples. And in that moment, what does he do? He tells his betrayer, Judas, one of his disciples, to go do what you're about to do. In other words, go and betray me like you had planned to. And even moments later, in the middle of the night, when he's praying in the garden, and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. One of his disciples unsheaths a sword and strikes one of the soldiers, cuts off an ear, and Jesus commands him to sheath your sword. He commands his disciples to not defend him, to not protect him. Galatians 1.3, speaking of Jesus, tells us, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Yes, according to the plan of God, yes, Jesus was delivered by sinners to death, but Jesus also gave himself over to death. Which again makes this commitment of his in entering into Jerusalem and headed towards it, that's such a peculiar, peculiar commitment. Because again, he's headed towards his death. 
not only that, but it is a peculiar commitment because of the good that he's done in his life. One might argue, why would Christ do such a thing? Whether you're a believer or not, if you know anything about Jesus and anything, anything and everything that he's done in his life, if you've ever read through the Gospels and you know everything he's done, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, curing the leper, providing for those who needed food, caring for the weak and the helpless, he certainly did a lot of good in his life. And to some people, it may not make any sense as to why he would go to his death. Jesus, you have done so much good in your life. What benefit is there for other people, for yourself, or even for the world, for you to go willingly to your own death? Does not your life present a greater benefit to others than your death? Another reason why his commitment is so peculiar is because of his honor and praise. People worshipped Jesus. People revered him. People respected him. People admired him. Some people can only dream of becoming so well-known and respected and even famous. Surely hated by some, of course, because nobody is ever liked by everybody. But still, people worshipped him. They followed him. They respected him. People provided for him and his disciples. And as we see here in our passage this morning, people even lined the streets to worship him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Someone might think, who in their right mind would give all that up willingly and die? Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, that's easy. I mean, I don't, would never struggle with something like that. It's because you've probably never been in that position. In a position where you have the admiration and the praise and the respect of so many people. I think any one of us would find that incredibly enticing and incredibly tempting, tempting and incredibly attractional. And Jesus had all of that. And still gave it up because he was committed to his death. That would then lead us to question his commitment. Such a peculiar commitment, but why make such, such a strange commitment? And so the reason for such a commitment is what we turn to next. And the reason for such a commitment first is because of his commitment to his father. John 18, 37, passage that was read earlier, then Pilate, the one who had the authority either to release Jesus or to crucify Jesus, said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus understands his purpose Jesus knows who he is, and Jesus knows what he has come into the world to do, to bear witness to the truth, because he has been sent by the Father in order to bear witness to the truth. Everybody is looking for truth. Everybody wants to understand what truth is. A lot of the problems in our society and culture right now is because people are trying to understand what in the world is truth. 
you need only look to the Scriptures. Did you know that the Gospel of John has the word truth more than any other book in the entire Bible? The Gospel of John itself is a book of truth. And what is truth? What is the truth that Jesus has come into the world to bear witness to? The truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus has come down from heaven. That Jesus is the Word of God. The truth is, is that man is a slave to sin. The truth is that freedom from sin comes from the truth. The truth is, is that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life. And the truth is, is that if anyone will enter into heaven, if anyone desires to be with God forever and ever, then they must go through Jesus Christ. In totality, the truth is everything that Christ in his word tells us concerning himself, concerning ourselves, concerning God, and concerning the way of salvation. Jesus entered Jerusalem, resolved to go to his death because of his unrelenting and unwavering commitment to his Father as the one who has been sent into the world to bear witness to the truth. In John 12, 27, Jesus prays for the Father's will. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Well, here's a shocking prayer. So committed to his father that Jesus prays for the father's will. Here is Jesus. says that he is troubled. Why is he troubled? Because he knows that he is moment from experiencing agony and pain and turmoil and distress through his being crucified to a cross. And rather than praying for his own salvation, Jesus prays that God be glorified. This is how committed Jesus was to his Father and the plan of the Father. That the Father's plan and the glory of the Father took precedence, took priority over his own personal salvation. Not only was Jesus committed to his death because of his commitment to his Father, but it was also a commitment to his own glory. When we commit ourselves to something or to someone, it requires a sacrificing of ourselves. And in part, we do so because there's an expectation that we will receive something in return. Not always, right? We don't always receive something in return when we commit ourselves to something or to someone, right? A person or a couple in which one of them has been confined to a bed, not able to do anything, to even be able to, say, eat on their own. Right? In that sense, that person cannot give anything in return. But that's why a commitment is a commitment. But generally speaking, when we commit ourselves to something, we have an expectation that we'll get something in return. If we commit ourselves in our marriages, right? we expect that we will then have a thriving and flourishing and healthy marriage. 
we commit ourselves to our children and raising our children, the expectation and hope is that they will be good citizens and hopefully, Lord willing, be godly men and women. When we commit ourselves to our work, the expectation is that we will get wages, that we will earn a living to provide for ourselves and others. What was Jesus after in the pursuit of his own death and this unrelenting commitment to his death? Jesus was in the pursuit of his own glory. That's what he was after. In John 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In John's Gospel, he makes quite clear that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the glorification of Jesus Christ. Yes, people lined the streets to worship Jesus and glorify him, though they didn't completely understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. But that glory was his to receive because of what he was about to do, because of who he is. But in his lifetime, the climax of his glory came at the crucifixion. It was that glory and the glory that comes after that he was in the pursuit of. The glory that comes from man is nothing in comparison to the glory that he receives on account of his death. The New Testament is clear, the kind of glory that Jesus received after his death, that he was seated at the right hand of God. That he's given authority and dominion over all power and authority. That he is preeminence, that he is given supremacy, that Jesus is not only worshipped as God because he is God, but Jesus, in addition to that, is worshipped as the God-man. Christ committed himself to the pursuit of his own death because of the prize of the eternal glory that will come through the cross, and he considered that it was well worth his life. But let's not think to ourselves, well, of course, he can give himself to that death and even endure such an agonizing form of death because he's God. And certainly that is true, but let's not, let's not forget that Jesus is also man. So every sweat of his brow was an actual sweat of his brow. Every time his body was beaten, his body was bruised. With the nails went through his feet and his hands, he actually bled, and he did so because he was fully man. Right? God does not sweat. God does not feel pain. God does not bleed. But Jesus isn't just fully God, but he is fully man as well. And 
And so the pain that he felt on the cross is the pain that you and I would have felt if we were there in his place. So Jesus was committed to his own glory. And thirdly, the reason for Christ's unwavering and unrelenting pursuit of his own death was because of his commitment to his people. And it was, it's, it's a commitment that has been there since the very beginning. If you go all the way back to Genesis and the first transgression, when man disobeyed God, what, is, what happens is that God then curses man and curses the world. But even in that cursing, we see God's commitment to his people. He says in the curse, he embeds in it a promise that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Speaking of the virgin who will conceive a son, it says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For or because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came into the world in order to save his people from bondage to the devil, from the tyranny of sin, and from the judgment that those sins deserved. Jesus came to set his people free. First John tells us that this is the reason why the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil destroy, not just weaken, not just lessen the load, but no, to destroy the works of the devil is the reason why Jesus came into the world, to destroy those works. If I picked a fight with Jackie Chan, I wouldn't just get bruised up. No, I'd be destroyed because I can't stand up to a guy like that. Jesus came to earth to destroy, to pulverize the works of the devil. Praise God for that. And he did this because he says in John 8, 24, that unless you believe in him, then you will die in your sins. John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he, that God has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is through the crucifixion that Jesus destroys the works of the devil and our bondage and tyranny to his works and enslavement to our sins. And Jesus also speaks to the fruit that his death produces. In John 12, 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The reason why Christ was committed to going to the cross was because his death would accomplish more good than his life ever did. The fruit of Christ's death outweighs, outnumbers, outperforms the fruit of his life.
Salvation isn't possible apart from Christ's death. It is through his death that the way is open for us to salvation. Jesus has become the door to eternal life. The door is open for anyone to enter through, through faith in the Lord Jesus. They will embrace him as Lord and Savior. It is for this reason why he was so committed to his death and was willing to endure the agony of such a death. Rob Conrad, former football player for the Miami Dolphins, 2005, he was out late in the day, late in the evening, on his boats, fishing. He had caught something, but then a, a strong wave came by, tossed the boat, and he ended up actually falling overboard. And his boat was actually on autopilot. So he knew that he was not going to be able to swim to his boat and catch it. And he was nine miles off the coast. So what he did was he tried to swim to the coast, alternating between backstroke and front stroke. Had been stung several times by, what do you call them, by jellyfish. At one point, there was even a shark circling him until it finally left him. He saw a boat afar that couldn't see him. There was a helicopter looking for him, and it could not find him. Sixteen hours later, he reaches the coast, half dead, struggling with hypothermia. And days later, he was interviewed about his ordeal, and they asked him, what got you through it? Like, what propelled you to, to swim for so long? To, to get to the shore. You know what his answer was? He said, I have two beautiful daughters waiting at home for me. Man, if we might put Jesus in an interview and ask him, from where did you draw the strength to go to the cross? How did you find the resolve, the, the seal to to stick through with this commitment, to go to the cross, and he might answer, I was committed to my own glory. I was committed to fulfilling the Father's plan. But I think he would also answer that I was also committed to you. Because on the other side of the cross, right, the Lord Jesus saw your face. The Lord Jesus knew who you were. And he was committed to going to the cross, enduring the agony, the suffering of the cross, so that you and I might be saved. So then having considered the peculiarity of his commitment to his death, and having considered the reasons for his unrelenting commitment to his death, let us lastly consider that this was a reasonable commitment and that we are left with a reasonable commitment. For anyone, either here or you're watching online, consider that this is a reasonable commitment. It is a reasonable commitment to commit yourself to Jesus Christ 
And what I mean being reasonable, meaning it is logical, that it makes sense to commit your life to following Jesus Christ. How does this make sense? Well, consider Christ's commitment to his own death. Right? Would you not agree that it made sense? Yes, painful, agonizing, but it made sense that he would commit himself to his death because of reaping the rewards that would come after. It made sense that he would do so. Does it not make sense for you to make a similar commitment to follow Jesus Christ? You might ask, well, well, you had said that commitment requires self-sacrifice, that it requires for you to pay a cross. Well, if I am going to commit myself to following Jesus Christ, what's the cost? What do I have to pay in order to give my life to Jesus Christ? Jesus says in 1225, in John 1225, Whoever loses his life, or sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, Jesus says that the cost that you have to pay is the cost of your life. You must give up your life. At this point, I might have just dissuaded you from committing your life to Jesus Christ, but bear with me for a moment. Consider consider the cost of not following Jesus Christ. Jesus says that unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. There is a price to be paid for not following Jesus Christ. And the Gospels is clear. The price to be paid is an eternal life without Christ. It's an eternal life of punishment, looking to pay for the price of your sins, a price that will never be paid. That is the price or the cost of not following Jesus. Consider that, but also consider the reward of following Jesus. Yes, you will have to lose your life by committing it to Jesus Christ and relinquishing ownership of your life and placing it in the hands of Christ and making a commitment to follow Jesus for all of your life. But the reward that you will receive is eternal life. Life with God, life with Christ. Jesus says elsewhere that the cost of following him requires an allegiance that looks like, that will look like a hatred of the world. But in the end, you'll gain much more. Peter, speaking on behalf of the other disciples, had once said to Jesus, Jesus, look, we have left everything in order to follow you. And Jesus commends him. And Jesus points to the fact that you will receive much more now and in eternal life in the resurrection. John Piper, sort of commenting on that passage, says, There is no cost that you can pay in following Christ that won't be made up to you a thousandfold in the resurrection. Yes, it will cost you your life, but you have so much more to gain by committing your life to following Jesus Christ. So consider the cost and consider the reward. And choose today to give your life to following Jesus Christ. By placing your faith and trust in him. Now dear saints, believers, those who have already made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ. The imperative is the same, to commit to Christ. 
take time to consider what your commitment to Christ looks like right now. How does your life display a commitment to Jesus Christ? Consider Christ's commitment to his death as the means of your salvation, knowing that Christ displays such an unrelenting and unwavering commitment to his death for your salvation. How can we then not also fully and unwaveringly and unrelentingly commit ourselves to following Christ? So what might that commitment to, you, to Christ look like for you? What things do you need to lay down at the foot of Christ? What things do you need to give up? Are there personal preferences that you need to lay down at the foot of the cross? Are there sins that you are struggling with that you need to just hand over to Jesus Christ and let go as a commitment to following him? What desires, personal dreams, and ambitions, and goals that you have that might impede your commitment to Jesus Christ? Those might be things worth considering laying down at the foot of Christ and asking him to do according to his will. And not just your own will. Are you committed to his word? Not just reading it, but committed to applying his word. Are you committed to communion with Christ, to praying to the Lord, praying for yourselves, praying for others, praying for God's people? Are you committed to the Lord's church, to serving the bride of Christ? Are you committed to holiness? Are you confessing sin regularly before the Lord? Are you fighting sin in your life? It's a way of committing yourself to the Lord Jesus. Consider what things might be impeding you from that commitment to Jesus Christ. God is not asking that we give only 25%, 50%, or even 99%. But no, Christ demands that we give our entire lives to Jesus, to following him, to doing according to his will first. So as we reflect on Palm Sunday and Christ entering Jerusalem, we're reminded of a king who shows a peculiar commitment to his own death. But we see, and hopefully we understand as well, his reasons for such a commitment. A commitment to the Father, a commitment to his own glory, and a commitment to you and I for our salvation. So with that in mind... Let us also give our lives fully to following Jesus Christ, committing ourselves to him. And let us also remember that there is great, great gain in doing so. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are so thankful for your entering Jerusalem, for your entering into the, these final hours of your life. Lord, we would not be here today were it not for your death on the cross and your resurrection.
Lord, and through the gospel, you remind us of how committed you are to us. And we have your word as a reminder to us of how committed you are to us. And that commitment isn't always what we might desire it to be. We have our preferences. We have our own goals. We have our own desires. But sometimes, perhaps even many times, what your commitment to us looks like is not what we might always want. But we thank you, Lord, because your commitment to us is unwavering. You are committed not only to our well-being, but you are committed to our sanctification. You are committed to our endurance. You are committed to our holiness. Lord, may we trust you. Even though there may be times when we don't feel as though you are there and that you are committed to us, Lord, remind us of the gospel, remind us through your word that you are committed to us because you tell us in your word that you will not lose a single one of those that are yours. So help us to trust you and help us, give us the grace to give our lives fully unto you for your own glory and for our own good and for our own joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing one more song in response to today's message. The singing, Come Thou Found. Prone. Prone. 
today. God, thank you for for paying the wages, Lord, the cost of our sins on the cross. God, we we pray, Lord, that may you and may your relenting, unrelenting, Lord, commitment to us draw us, Lord, to your feet in repentance and humility in full surrender. And God, may we may we commit to you, O oh Lord, our lives. Father, we we've honored you today, Lord, in singing in spirit and truth, Lord. So God, we are here simply to magnify your name and who you are in this Palm Sunday and in this coming week as we celebrate more, Lord, your death and resurrection. God, you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Uh, today's benediction is out of Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Word of God says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church, you're dismissed. God bless you.